we just want to welcome you this evening. We'll go ahead and change the pace and let's sing that song, um, What a Mighty God. Try C. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Yes, what a mighty God we serve. And angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, and Jesus is the God we serve. Yes, Jesus is the God we serve. And angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, and what a mighty God we serve. Yes, what a mighty is the God we serve, and Jesus is the God we serve. Angels bow before Him, heaven and earth adore Him, for Jesus the God we serve. One more time. And now what a mighty God we serve, oh, what a mighty God we This world could not do. You saved me when I was lost. You've surely been good to me. You saved my soul when I was lost. You've surely been good to me. You saved my soul when I was lost. You've surely been good to me. You have done what this world could not do. And Lord, Lord, Lord.
done what this world could not do. And Lord, 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 you should have been good to me. Lord, 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 you should have been good to me. Lord, 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 you should have been good to me. You have done what this world could not do. One more time. And now, Lord, 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 you should have been change it up now a little bit. Uh, we are running a little short on time this evening. want to make sure we give Brother Barry enough time. Let's sing um, that song, Pleasing, in D, before we take our needs to him. Pleasing, let me be pleasing. just want to remember uh, Ethan Pritchard, who is uh, returning home, but I think I saw him. Um, no, I did not, actually. My bad. <laughs> uh, we just want to remember him uh, in prayer, because he is returning home from business this evening. So just remember him. Uh, we also have uh, the drums, who are not with us this evening. They are getting some tests done. Um we also just want to remember uh, Lisa Pascal's niece, who is Suzanne Holmquist. Uh, she is uh, going home today. And uh, 
she also is, um, she goes to Happy Valley. I don't think she's one of the ones who has, uh, had COVID. I'm not exactly sure of that, but we also just want to remember everyone in Johnson City as well who are, uh, dealing with that. We also just want to remember Brother Troy Hughes this evening. Um, he has some tests with his heart. I have a more specific note here saying that, um, he has to wear a heart monitor for a month. Uh, he has to go to Duke for some testing at some point. Uh, when they make an appointment, his heart has, uh, or when they went to make an appointment, uh, his heart was get, has gotten worse. So we just want to uh, remember that need. And uh, I also have here uh, to continue to remember Sister Mary Smith and um, Brother David Whitlock still dealing with his gallbladder. And uh, also to remember uh, Brother Noah Cockman here. He's here tonight, but he has his surgery August 9th on his shoulder. So if we could just remember him. Uh, if there are any unspoken prayer requests this evening, just lift your hands up. The Lord knows that need. And if you would just stand with me. If I could have uh, Brother Jeremy come up at this time to pray over these needs. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful, Lord, to be gathered once more in your house, Father, as we just approach your throne, Lord, we just want to lay aside the busyness of the, the week, Lord, and just give this time wholly to you, Father. Lord, we ask that you would cover us first with your blood, Lord, forgive us our shortcomings, Father. Lord God, as we lay these needs at your throne, Lord, we take confidence, Lord, that Lord, you've made a way through the cross, and we thank you for that, Lord. For those, Lord, that are ill and sick, Lord, we just thank you for the healing that you've provided for us. Lord, those that are looking for answers, Father, we thank you for, Lord, uh, just your guidance through the Holy Spirit. Lord God, for those, Lord, that are not with us and that wish they could be here, we just ask you to be with them, Lord. Fathers, we now just turn our thoughts to you, Lord. We ask, Father, that you'd be lifted up as we worship you. Father, we ask, Lord, that as the minister prepares to come forth, Lord, I pray that he would just be clay in your hands, Lord, that you would direct his thoughts, Father. Lord, help us to be attentive, Lord, to, to listen for that word that you have for us tonight. We, we all have needs, Father, but, Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you can speak to each one. Father, so we just do our part, Lord, to pull and look expecting to you, Father. And for these requests, Lord, we look forward to hearing. Lord, then return to praise reports. We love you and just give you thanks, Lord, for this time that we have to worship you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you, and open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to 
tithes and offering. Brother Tom, if you would just pray over him. Amen. Thank you. As Brother Ray comes this evening, let's just sing that song, We Exalt Thee. It's in key. We exalt
more first now. You are worthy. You are worthy. Yes, you thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have just to come into your presence, Lord, and to thank you for the offering of praise that, Lord, surrounds us today. May now your presence just come, Lord, and speak to us out of the volume of the book. And Lord, may quicken the word to every heart. We give you every need. We give you every burden, every concern, every grieving family. We commit them to you, Lord, and ask that your mercy be extended to them and those that are sick tonight. Father, we pray that your grace would be extended to us that are gathered here tonight, Lord. And Father, may you just take the word and breathe upon it and make it live, Lord, in our hearts. We commend our spirits into your hands now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Uh, let's take your Bibles, if you will, and let's go to Matthew chapter 22. And let's look in the word of the Lord for a little time of study tonight. Certainly good to be back in God's house, and it is certainly good... Uh, to have all of you back here uh, with us. Good to have the Cockmans here. God bless you. Noel, good to have you here, getting ready for prep for surgery. God bless you. Uh, we have been praying for you. We are missing uh, several folks tonight, Brother uh, Aaron, Sister Trish. We're missing them and uh, several others, but we're glad that you're here tonight, and may God bless you. Um, appreciate each and every one of you. Matthew chapter 22 and we'd like to read two verses here. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. So that's the motive, all right? They're just trying to trip Jesus up in whatever way they can. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, who were also objectors or arguers, saying, Master, we know that thou art true. And teach us the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. So tell us therefore, and the rest doesn't matter. They are going to ask him a question here, but the question really doesn't matter. The whole thing is all about just trying to entangle him. So whether it's this question or another question, they're just trying to entangle him. They're just trying to trip him up. Right, So they ask him the question here about uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus answers that one. That doesn't convert them. doesn't make them all believers. The question really is not the important thing. The question is, is that these guys are only there to try to catch Jesus in his talk and try to accuse him then. May God at his blessing you may be seated. Before we begin tonight, let me just make a couple of comments here in... 
opening and say that uh, these have certainly been extraordinary uh, days for us over the last little while. Um, I have a list here of uh, five people who have passed away in the last, uh, last couple of days. Uh, Brother Stephen Francis in South Africa was a minister there. His funeral is going to be held on Friday. Uh, Brother Hugo Vega in Chile. Uh, he passed away with the virus. Brother Tommy Ernest passed away. Uh, he was 62 years old in Kansas. Sister Karen Pruitt passed away this morning. Most of you know Brother Tim's wife. And uh, after five weeks of uh, the brain issue that she had, and uh, we certainly want to hold them up in prayer. And then Brother Tim Arrowood and Scott Arrowood, their father, uh, passed away this morning about 10 a.m., and uh, he also had the virus as well. He's three, he was three rooms down the hallway from Brother Tim. Uh, and so we sure want to hold uh, those families up in prayer. It's just been a very difficult thing for them to uh, go through. And I've been in contact with uh, all those families, except the brother in Chile. I know people who know him. And uh, we certainly want to remember them in prayer. They never expected to be where they are today. Brother uh, Tim Arrowood. Uh, on the positive side, Brother Tim is doing a little better, cautiously optimistic. They lowered his uh, oxygen level, and he was sitting up today, and uh, very thankful uh, for the progress they say, that he's made. And I'll tell you, that's just a real answer to prayer. Uh, but we've been asked to especially remember Brother Jim Babb. Now, if you have any association with Happy Valley at all, you'd know Jim Babb. And uh, Brother Jim is really a special person. Uh, somebody who has really um, just been a, a real help to me and uh, to our church here even. And we, Brother Jim and I have known each other for a lot of years and worked together many, many different uh, uh, projects and different occasions. Uh, Brother Jim is in ICU. He's on a ventilator. His kidneys are failing, uh, and he's in very serious shape. And so we would ask you just, if you don't mind, to just really hold him up in prayer uh, because he has uh, some other health issues as well that are a concern and make it uh, even more serious for Brother Jim. So if you don't mind remembering that name in prayer, we would sure appreciate that. Also as well, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, for Sister Becky, uh, her uh, Brother Fulcher's last living family member is Eldridge Fulcher. Uh, they call him Brother, and he lives out in West Memphis, Tennessee. And they have him in the hospital uh, for what they thought was myeloma. And uh, they just found out, and I just, she just handed me the prayer request that uh, God answered prayer. He does not have myeloma, uh, but he has some sort of an infection that's connected to his spine. And so uh, they're trying to treat that. But we're very thankful for, uh, for that, and uh, you can remember that as well. Uh, my goodness, I, I just, you know, we live in a time of uh, just so many prayer requests and so many serious issues and uh, things that are taking place. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's comforting to know that we can pass those prayer requests along and join together because I believe that uh, we can't pray too much. And uh, I think it's a stronger thing when we pray together over something. I think it's a good thing when we know what we're praying for, exactly what's going on, and we know what we're praying for. But I think also it's a good thing when we pray together and uh, have a unity in approaching God about the things that are of concern to us. And, uh, you know, the, we're living in uh, certainly in uncertain times. So um, 
I want to use that uh, this evening here as a bit of a little bit of a springboard here in uh, talking about uh, this subject here this evening, and we'll just see how far we uh, how far we go in dealing with this subject here. So this is really just kind of an introduction uh, to something that I want to share. I'm not done with shalom in the home. I'm going to uh, do some more things there, but I just felt in my heart today that I would tackle this scripture because this has been uh, something that's been uh, just turning over for me and uh, the, the next couple of screens that I have here. So I, I wanted to see uh, how this would develop. So like Brother Bram said, you put a shell on the gun, and if it goes off, whoa, uh, we'll go with that if that goes off. And uh, so that's what we were looking at. Now, this, this whole idea of um, this, this scene, it was not an uncommon thing for the disciples to see uh, this this kind of thing happening where people would come and th- their motives uh, you know became manifest as they discussed things with Jesus and and this is not the first time they came and it wasn't the last time they came they were they were there were antagonists there from the very beginning even of John the Baptist preaching right to Jesus crucifixion there were antagonists they were there, there's a spirit that was manifest that was against this uh, the person of Jesus and the teachings and uh, the manifestation of the word for that day. There were, there were spirits there that were set against that. Do you believe that? Yeah. Just like today, in, in the days of the light that we have, there are spirits that are arrayed or gathered against the truth that we have. Yeah. Would you believe that there are, there are spirits in this world that don't want you to make it to the body change? Yeah. Would you believe that? Yeah. Well, let me assure you that that is true. And so therefore, if that is true, then we have to be discerning about not only the times we live in, but the way that Satan attacks. I'm, I'm just amazed at how subtle he is and how, uh, how sometimes roundabout he can come and alluring uh, people away and just distracting people and getting people involved in wrong things and, and things that really don't matter. What a waste of time to be ma- involved in things that don't matter. Political things don't matter. Right? There's all kinds of social issues out there that don't matter. Sports and all kinds of things that really wind up being a distraction. Hey, it's alright to have fun, but I'm saying that it's very, it's, sometimes it's just a short step into things that really become a distraction, keep you out of church and keep you diverted from important things. And so, I, I don't need to convince you that we're living in times where you can wake up, you can go to bed one night and wake up the next morning and the news is altogether different, your world is all of a sudden affected in a different way, right? We all, we all understand that. We're kind of getting used to that, if, if, if that's possible. And, uh, you know, we all react to it in certain ways. I'll tell you what, it's, it's really, I think it's an important thing for you not to get caught up in the wave of discontent and criticism and unrest that's in this world. Remember now, they're being prepared for a place of perpetual agony and distraction, right? They're heading to the tribulation. You're not. So don't get caught up in that world. Don't get caught up in all the uh, politics and whether uh, Dr. Fauci should retire or not. Hey, listen, let Dr. Fauci and his wife deal with that one, all right? Uh, we, we got bigger fish to fry, if you don't mind me saying it that way. Uh, we, got, we have other more important things to look at. But it's easy. If you let yourself, it's easy to get pulled into that. And you can get all wound up and caught up and Facebooked to death over things that really don't matter. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. But I, but I want you to notice that, that that spirit that's antagonistic to the light of the hour exists today, just like it did back in that day. 
And they come to Jesus and they bait the hook in the discussion with this statement and say, now, now this is how they were going to entangle him. And they entangled him first by making compliments. And they said, we know that thou art true, liars. And we know that thou teachest the way of God in truth, liars. Neither carest thou for any man, true. That's really true. For thou regardest not the appearance of men. You're not impressed by how people look, how people sound, how people act, you know, how they're trained. You're not, in, you're not impressed with that. You do not respect persons. And that's, that's what they were, that's what they were saying when they uses this phrase, for thou regardest not the person of men. You're not, uh, you're not, uh, we know somehow or other, uh, you can stand in front of a king or a peasant and it doesn't really impress you one way or the other. You can stand in front of a great man or a simple man and you still have the same kind of language to both. Now, at least they recognize that. So you're not flattered by appearance. You're not flattered by wealth. You're not flattered or impressed by position. And they, they got that right. So, this is the, this is the way that they start off the conversation with Jesus, and then they lead into a question, uh, about which they would not obey anyway, they would not be concerned about anyway. Uh, they, they were asking him about the, uh, you know, paying the taxes, and the only reason they're asking him that, and whatever other questions they ask in this vein, they're only asking him to try to, uh, trip him up, and then say, aha, we got him, we got him right here. Here's an accusable statement. Here's a statement that, uh, we can bring up against him later on. Now, we find uh, as well, when I, when I began to think about that scripture and I began to look at that in my reading, and then uh, I was looking at other places here, I, I need you just to step back for a moment here in this, in this uh, idea or this subject of deception, and just let me bring it in from the, broad, uh, from the broad angle here. Jesus warns us in the last day, this is very common to us, that there will arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great wonders in so much that, if it were possible, uh, they shall deceive the very elect. So they're good enough that they can become potentially a danger to the elect. And that's why Jesus mentions this, that this is going to happen, not only in the end time, but in the end time, we'll enter into what's called perilous times, right? We'll enter into times that are trickier than other ages. We'll enter into times that are more deceptive than other times, other periods of the next 2,000 years. Behold, I have told you before, and that's God's way always is to warn us before uh, things take place, is that uh, there will be people that will come along and say, Behold, he's in the desert, he's in the secret chambers, and so forth. Uh, go not forth, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, Jesus is telling us that, but he doesn't tell us exactly how or what form this lightning is going to shine so that we would recognize it. It's Now, we know, we know, because we're living in the last day when the seals are open and the word is revealed and uh, the mysteries are unveiled and uh, we have an understanding of the uh, coming of the Son of Man and all of those things that are made manifest to us in the last day. All right, stay with me now. We have an idea, we have an idea, we have an understanding. But nonetheless, Jesus said there will still will be people in that hour that will be saying, well, he's not there, he's over here. And he's not in this, he's in that. And they'll be, they'll be saying it. It's kind of like this, that, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a notice saying that, uh, you know, you might get it, uh, you might get it on, um, a website. Like if you go to the IRS website, they'll have a little notice there, or in their communications, like in their letter, they'll say, 
The IRS will never call you and ask you for your social security number. They'll never ask you for uh, vital personal information. Uh, They'll never do that. The IRS will always communicate with you in writing. And I've read lots of those different notices that have come to me over over the, the years about how the IRS will contact you. Okay, but does that stop people from calling up and say to people, this is the IRS, and we're just here to let you know this is your last warning. And what you need to do right now is write out a check for $15,000. Does it stop people from doing that? Absolutely not. We, 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 we know better. You know, I mean, <laughs> at least some of us know better. And we wouldn't fall for that. Now, think about it in this way. That even though, even though we have an understanding, and the understanding is out, the light is shining. We're not living in darkness anymore, but the light is shining. There's still people that are going, oh, really? Is he over there? I'll go over there and try to find him. And is he, is he in the secret chamber? I, I love secret chambers. And they'll, they're drawn to this and they're, draw, they're distracted to this or that. Hey, listen, the IRS is never going to ask you for your social security number. So relax. You don't need to go running after things that are out there, those rabbit trails out there. Just stay with the word. And that's what Jesus is telling us. There are going to be things to try to pull you away from the light of the hour. Stay with the word. Everybody all right? Very simple here at this point. But now watch what Brother Branham says about this. He says, in the angel of the Lord, 1951, he said, people a long time ago, you ought to have come to God. This is 1951. You ought to have come to God and got yourself settled down and know where you're standing. And the Bible said in these last days that there'd be a famine, not for bread alone, but for the hearing of the word of God. And men would go from the east and the west and the north and the south trying to find it, and they would fail. You better get sealed into the kingdom of, of, of God by the Holy Ghost while you got a chance. You talk about a confusing time. It's coming when the Bible said that it would be so close it would deceive the very elected possible. How many of you believe the confusing time is coming? Even if the word is clear in its unfolding, we're surrounded by confusing circumstances. Is this of God? Is that of God? What should we do? Where do we go? How do we respond to this and that? And there's all kinds of opinions around, right? Very, very strong opinions around, all around us here. And it's all meant to fulfill just this. You're entering into a confusing time. Hey, listen, do what Brother Branham said. Get settled. If you're not born again, you ought to really consider that. If you've never repented, you ought to really consider that. If you've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to really consider that while you've got time. Or like he says, while you've got a chance. Because we're moving into a time when people will love to have that chance and they will not have an opportunity for it. <clears throat> That's why... Uh, you know, to me, there's such a surge over in other countries, third world countries, where they're wanting to get their hands on everything they can get their hands on, and Bibles and books and everything that they can get their hands on, because I believe it's a final surge until that gate closes. And there's going to come a time when it closes. So, hey, listen, we're not over there. We're here. You have everything made available to you, right? You young people, you got everything made available to you. You can have the book, you can have the message in any form you want. You can have the Bible in any language you want. Uh, you can have, uh, you can have time with me. You can have, there's water in the baptistry here. There's not a thing in the world that hinders you except your own desire to serve God. And if you're, if something in you is pulsating towards God and seeking God and, uh, you know, you just got a, a thirst or a pull, I'd say act on that because that's the Holy Spirit. The devil is never going to draw you to God. 
So if you have a pull or a draw to, to the things of God, follow that and let the Holy Spirit lead you to that. It's, there's coming a time when you're not going to be able to do it. It's going to come a time when it's so confusing and so dark and so miry that it's not going to be clear. So, I, hey, I'm just giving you something to think about. Is that all right? That's a good thing to think about. That's why we come to church on Wednesday night, because you've been thinking about all kinds of things up till now, and then all of a sudden you get a call like this and you realize, whoa, yeah, you know what? He's right. Who knew God would knew? Now, Brother Branham, again, he says this in the last, about the last days, two places here in 1965, just very simply. Uh, these are important, uh, this is an important sermon, and uh, he says this uh, two times here. He said, the world seems to be in the most evil age that it ever was. The problem is, is that that's 1965. And what was evil has gotten way eviler since then. And he said, uh, never in any age did women act like they are and so forth. And Jesus refers to this. And and it's not just women, but uh, there's all kinds of things that are going on. And uh, he says again in the same sermon, two spirits, one of them, God's Holy Spirit, uh, and the other one, the devil's spirit, and he's working in, say it, he's working in deception. That is the context, or that's the environment, that's the atmosphere that he works in, is confusion. So sometimes when you're seeking an answer, he'll provide two. And have you, have you kind of halted between two opinions? He's done that before, right? And then, uh, you know, other times, uh, he'll, he'll work in ways like, uh, he'll have somebody, some messenger come along and tell you something that's contrary. And it can even seem very close to the real. But it, it's all, it, it comes from the sources from a deceiving heart. And he says, now the people in the earth are making their uh, choice. The Holy Spirit's calling out a bride for Christ. I, I, I've said this and I, I just say it again. Just say it, uh, just very simply. To be able to be called by God and to have something in you to respond to God, it makes us a very special people, and we should be very thankful. I've said that a lot, and I don't mean to make it common, but just, just, I just think it's worth repeating that it is important for us to recognize that God puts something in you to respond to the call of God for our time, and so therefore it's a good thing for us to, to be... To be ever mindful of the fact that you're here not because of your own smarts or your own outlook on things. You're here because Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to hear and receive the light of the hour and to walk in that, to respond to that correctly. You reacted the right way, and that's what's beautiful. You react the right way, and that's, that's, that's the thing that the Holy Spirit is really interested in. Now, let me say this. I've read just several quotes here. We looked in the scripture here. The problem is, is that in, in this last day, it's not just clear sailing from here into there. This deception and this darkness and this cloudiness really just gets worse. Yeah. But you know what's also true is that, um, and, and let me say this really clearly to you and about you, we have nothing to hide. We have no reason to worry about deception because we're not trying to deceive anyone. Uh, what we have is available to all. What we have, what we believe, is knowable by anybody. Anybody could investigate us and find out what they believe. Uh, we're not trying to hide a thing. We, we, somebody asked me today, uh, they asked me, what kind of church are you? Are you a Pentecostal church or are you charismatic? And I said, huh, well, I'd like to think that we are, you know, in personality, we're kind of charismatic. But I said, we're just a Bible-believing fundamental church. 
We don't, uh, we don't uh, look at Brother Branham's words as the Bible. We don't look at Brother Branham as God. That would be blasphemy. That would be antichrist for us to do that. We believe he was a prophet. We believe he was a significant player in the last day in the same way that Paul was a significant player in the first age. And God promised a prophet in the last day. He doesn't mince words. He promised us a prophet in the last day. And the only way for you to test a prophet is to do what the Bible says and that is go back and say, does this prophet... Uh, you know, he makes claims and he says certain things. Have they come to pass? And have they, have they been fulfilled? And has he accomplished what it is that his goal was as stated in the scripture? And that's absolutely, I mean, that's absolutely open for anybody to investigate. Now you'll find on the internet all kinds of people who have all kinds of access to grind and all kinds of, uh, stories and things that are absolutely totally unprovable online there because they're trying to find fault with something. But, huh, Wasn't that the same spirit that we read in our text here? People just trying to entangle Jesus, and they're trying to entangle Paul, and they were trying to entangle Brother Branham, and us in the last day. Would you agree? That spirit's gone nowhere. That spirit's still around, right? So now, therefore, therefore, let me say this, that uh, really one of the one of the one of the things that you could do is to say to somebody that uh, let's just say that uh i don't know let's just say that ethan had a cousin who uh you know lived in canada somewhere and was not a believer in the message but came down and said well you know lots of people say they're christians how do you know that you're a christian he could say come and see come to church come come and visit and, and listen to what's being said we have listen to me we have nothing to hide we we don't wear capes and slip out to the graveyard uh, in the middle of service, we, we tend to hold all of our people here until the end of service, and then we let them go. If you, if you find it in the Bible, let me tell you, it's up for consideration for me. I mean, it's because we're a Bible-believing fundamental people. It doesn't, that doesn't make us right because we say that. But let's say this, that I think it's an important thing. If somebody did come among us, Ethan's cousin showed up and saw us, he'd be looking for the evidence of of Christ in us, and that would be reasonable because that's our claim. Yeah, that's right. right? That's our claim. That, that the Holy Spirit is not way off somewhere in a cloud, some part of a trinity, but rather he came back on the day of Pentecost and he's still here with us, living with us, even in us, until the end of the age. We're not, we're not gone yet. It's not over yet. So he's still here with us. Do you believe that? So then someone else would have the right to interview you and say, well, you know, I mean, let's, let's talk about the life you live. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but in reality, if somebody sat you down and said, you know, like uh, the Bible talks about paying tithes, do you pay your tithes? Amen. Or uh, do, you, do, you, uh, you know, do you do the other ordinances like baptize like they did in the book of Acts? Do you do other things in the book of Acts? Do you, uh, do you believe in spreading the gospel and all the other questions there? So in other words, if, if the Spirit of God in the New Testament church caused those people to do those kinds of things, what indeed is the Holy Spirit causing you to do today? Just to sit here and stay awake until you get to the restaurant first because then you get a seat? Or is there more to it than that? And so that, that investigation, that inquiry would be a reasonable one for someone to come among us and say, is the Spirit of God moving here? Is this, uh, do those people bring their lick of fire and then all of a sudden we have a meeting that's different than other meetings, different than other places, uncomplicated by the world, and 
uncomplicated by worldliness and music that's worldly and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, are, are these people Christians? That's a question. And I think anyone would have a right to come in and say, uh, you know, hey, these people are, are different. They're, they worship, they seem to worship according to the scripture, according to the word. That would be a reasonable thing to do. Is that all right? So therefore, therefore, and I'm leading, I'm leading you on to something to say that if this is true then, then what we really are, what we, what we really are inside should show on the outside. It should not be putting on something when we come in through the doors of the church and then go outside and live something different. Because that really would be putting up an appearance. That would be putting up a front, right? An image. That would be decept- That would be deceiving. That would be deceptive. And they said to Jesus, "We know that you're not a person who, you know, regards men, and you're you're not one who, uh, you know, looks at people in in that way. And uh, like our text said, you're not a person that regards the person of men." Now, you know, you know that those, decide, those, the, those the Republicans and all the religious people of Jesus' day, they carried on with certain practices until Jesus showed up. Nobody ever contradicted those guys. Nobody ever really called it for what it was until Jesus showed up. And the word all, always, the word always discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart, right? The word always does that. And nobody had done that for 400 years because there hadn't been a prophet until Jesus shows up and he says, outwardly you look this way, but inwardly you're full of dead man's bones. That kind of got their attention, right? So it's important for us not to put up a religious front. And therefore we have this kind of 101 lesson on the appearance that we, pre- that we present. So let me give you a little funny example here, and I thought this was interesting. During one of his political campaigns, a delegation called on Theodore Roosevelt in his home in Oyster Bay, Long Island. This was not an uncommon practice for Tommy, Theodore Roosevelt. He was a man's man, and he wanted to be considered rugged and you know just a you know, tough guy. That's the way he was. The president met them with his coat off and his sleeves rolled up, and he said, Ah, gentlemen, come down to the barn, and we'll talk while I do some work. And at the barn, Roosevelt picked up a pitchfork and looked around for the hay. And he called out to John, his uh, ranch hand. And he said, where's all the hay? He said, sorry, sir. John called down from the hayloft. I ain't have time to toss it back again after you pitched it up while the Iowa folks were here. So he wanted to give that impression to every delegation that came that he was this kind of a man. Now, <clears throat> you can really be deceived when it comes to People. If you're the kind of person that regards the person of man, you can be really deceived. There is a true story that took place, and that was not an untrue story, because I try to really keep down the untrue stories uh, from the pulpit here. But in 1894, there was a couple who came into their university office, the university office of Harvard, where their son died. Their son was a student. His name was uh, Leland Stanford. And he, uh, he was an, an attendee at Harvard, and he... Uh, had died while he was in his uh, years at school at Harvard. And so his mom and dad came in, and uh, they sat down with the president of the university, and they said, uh, we are so distraught over our son, and we are so upset that we want to, uh, we want to you know, provide a memorial for our son here. And they were very ordinary-looking people. They were dressed just very ordinary, very common 
And the president was, you know, one of those kind of guys who was a very busy person because he was the president of Harvard. And he suggested to them, well, maybe you have in mind a scholarship. And they said, well, we were thinking of something a little more substantial than that, maybe like a building. And he brushed it off. And in a patronizing kind of a way, he suggested, listen, that's really too expensive for you to put up something like that at Harvard, and so maybe we could just do a scholarship or something like that. So the couple just got up and they left, and they went off. And the next year, the president of the university found out that they had gone somewhere else, and they had established a $26 million memorial called the Leonard Stanford Junior University, which today is known as Stanford. But he was entirely unimpressed with them because of how they dressed. And they were just very simple people. And they did not, they were not flashy. They didn't uh, suggest that they had a bunch of money or anything like that. They were, uh, they were very ordinary, down-to-earth kind of people. And he made a complete mischaracterization of those people because he was only judging by the outside. He didn't look very deep at all. He didn't even listen to them. Now listen to what Brother Branham said. He said he was just an ordinary man. Language that you use where everybody, the common people, would hear. Speaking about Jesus. He said there was nothing outstanding about his looks that you can make him what he was. What he was is not by outward appearance. What Jesus was was not by outward appearance. He was a man, outward. But inward, he was God. He was Emmanuel. You remember Brother Branham talking about the bee of death that stung around in Calvary's cross and pierced in there and he hit that 10,000 volt line and he was electrocuted. Remember that? Because he destroyed death when Jesus was on the cross. And so he said, Father God was in him and what made him different? As a speaker, I guess he wasn't so forceful. It was just something about his talk that caught the heart of the people though. He didn't have to be so forceful about it in an outward demonstration. There was something down in his talk that fascinated the hearts of the people. And that's really, I mean, isn't that true that, that we can all say we responded to something in, in the way that God spoke to us through the word of the hour? It's not because Brother Branham was impressive and, uh, you know, had scholarship and had a great big organization or a mega church or anything like that. Brother Branham voted against expanding his own church, going like from 250 to 350. Brother Branham, you know, he voted against that. So it was not bigness that impressed you about Brother Branham. It was not, uh, you know, the, the quality of his voice that impressed you about Brother Branham. It was not his vocabulary that impressed you about Brother Branham. But you know what? There was something behind the words. And the people who listened to Jesus, uh, you know, on the way on the, on the on the mount, or people who listened to Jesus on the street, or uh, Zacchaeus when he was up in the tree, when they heard Jesus speak, there was something inviting. There was something real. There was something true about his words and his voice. And that's what fascinated the hearts of the people. But certainly, Brother Branham is telling us, he's teaching us, that when it comes to Jesus, you've got to look beyond the surface, and then you'll see the real thing. All right, let's take it back to my comments here. If somebody came in off the street, and they sat in our assembly here, and they looked at us, they would say, whoa, wow, they're ordinary people. They just don't have many tattoos, but they're pretty ordinary people. On the surface, we wouldn't be much different than everybody else and probably many other church-looking people on Wednesday nights, right? It's not the surface, though, that we're trying to impress anyone with. It's not our clothing or our, uh, you know, our, our, uh, uh, our program that we're trying to impress anybody with. It's the Word. 
It's the word. That's why when somebody comes in here, if a stranger comes in, somebody you don't know, uh, I mean, they might be in the message coming to visit another message church. That's true. And a lot of, a lot of times that happens. But if somebody comes in the, in the church and you see them, uh, you ought to, you ought to just simply pray in your heart. You ought to bow your head and, and just say, Lord, I don't know who they are, but you know, and you brought them here. And Lord, if there's any quickening in their hearts, quicken them by the hearing of the word. We're not trying to fill up the church. We're just trying to find the last one so that we can leave here, right? Because that's the promise. And remember, it's not anything else we're trying to impress anyone with. It is just very simply, it is the word of the hour. So Paul writes this question, do you look on things after the outward appearance? Now remember who he's saying it to. This is the Corinthians. The Corinthians are Greeks. They're the ones who are impressed with uh, body uh, the, the body fitness. They're impressed with, uh, you know, prowess and athletics. They're, they're impressed with uh, accomplishments, right? These are the Corinthian people. And he's reminding them, do you look on things after the outward appearance? And if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him think of himself, this, think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we. In other words, you may look at me and see that I'm unimpressive. I'm not like a typical Greek. I'm not a person who carries myself like a Greek. But you know what? I'm Christ nonetheless. Now that word appearance is the word prosopon, which means uh, one, the, the appearance of one who presents by his wealth and property, rank or low condition, an outward circumstance. It is, uh, you know, just, just the kind of thing that somebody would look at. Uh, that's what that is. We find this in a number of places in Scripture. And, and just for example, here's a, here's a couple here. Uh, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, plainly recognized. It, you, you don't become a Jew by wearing long side curls or wearing a kippah. Uh, that's not it. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart of the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. You know, in, in the army, they say uh, there are, there's a, a checkbook process that whenever they have inspections and they have, uh, you know, these, uh, when in, in their training, they get lists of things to do. And the goal is to check all the boxes. And even if they haven't done it or haven't done it very thoroughly, the goal is to just get all your boxes checked and then you can hand it to the sergeant and say, yeah, I got all this done. And, you know, Jesus ran into people in his day who had checked all the boxes. They paid tithe on, on mint and anise, which is a herb. Mint is a herb. Anise is a herb. And they had, they had che- you know, checked the boxes on everything and handed in their paper and said, you know what? I, I'm not guilty of anything that, I, that, that is not undone today. Everything I needed to do, I've got done. And they checked the boxes. And Jesus turns around and says to them, but if you love me, you'd keep my commandments. Not just checking the boxes here. And Paul is saying you're not a Jew just because you can check the boxes. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Where does that come from? Well, we know that when God looks at a man, he looks at his heart, doesn't he? He's not looking at outward appearance. All right, so let's take a look here. This is uh, Second Chronicles. Now, if you don't mind, take your Bible here. I didn't put it all on the on the screen here, but let's take your Bible and go back and look in Second Chronicles. And guess what? Second Chronicles comes after First Chronicles. That's exactly right. 
Second Chronicles chapter 19 is a story of Jehoshaphat. And the reason I want you to look at that is because if you go back to chapter 17 and 18, you'll find that's where Jehoshaphat and Ahab were together. Brother Bram said that Jehoshaphat was a good man. He just had bad friends. He didn't have much discernment when it came to friends. And so it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, And Jehoshaphat the king of Judah returned to the house in peace in Jerusalem. After Ahab dies, after all of the trouble has settled down, uh, Jehoshaphat goes back to Judah and he's in his house. And Jehu the prophet comes to him. And he went out to meet him in verse 2, and he said to the king, Shouldst thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? There is a wrath upon thee from before the Lord. You, you should not hang around with a guy like Ahab, because uh, Ahab's not a good guy. And God judged him. And if you hang around with him and get involved in his stuff, you know what? You're going to become uh, you know, just, just as ripe or vulnerable for judgment or vulnerable for committing the wrong things as well. Nevertheless, there are good things that are found in thee. And in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and prepared thine heart to seek God. God loves somebody who prepares his heart to find him and seek him. God loves that. God loves it when a person is willing to humble himself and say, I want more. I want to do whatever it takes. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to give up my ways. And I want to adopt more of his ways. God loves that. When God sees that, he's able to look at Jehoshaphat and not judge him, though he has done things in verse 2 and 3 that are wrong. But yet God's willing to have mercy on him because he sees this quality in him. And he says in verse 3 that, you know, you've gotten rid of the, the groves and you've also prepared your heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again through, uh, the, uh, he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and back, brought them back unto the Lord God of their father. So he was a restorer. And he said, judges in the land. Verse 6. And he said to the judges, take heed what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. And wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you, and take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. So Jehoshaphat is simply telling the people that you're in a position as uh, leaders of the community, and you're in, you're, you stand in judgment. So in other words, you remember how when people had issues in the days of Moses, they brought all their, all their petitions to Moses and all their cases to Moses. You remember that? And, and then Jethro looks at Moses and says, hey, man, you're going to burn yourself out. You know, you're just doing this all day long. You're going to burn yourself out. And so this is the same thing that these ministers are doing in that day. And yet Jehoshaphat warns them. He says, listen, let the fear of God be upon you and let there be no iniquity with the Lord our God because there's no respect of persons nor taking of gifts. So if you're going to judge, you make sure that you judge the way that God would judge because he's looking at you. He's regarding you because God does not respect persons. In other words, so if, if a guy in the tabernacle, uh, in the temple back then, had paid for the paving of the parking lot, then he doesn't get a buy. He doesn't get a free pass past the Ten Commandments just because he paved the parking lot. It's one of the reasons why I don't count the tithes because I don't want to know who paved the parking lot. So I can look at everybody and pick on everyone's children, right? Without any kind of bias. 
Moreover, in Jerusalem, verse 8, did Jehoshaphat said of the Levites and of the priests and of the chief of the fathers for judgment of the Lord and for controversies when they returned to Jerusalem. And he charged them, saying, Thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. And what cause soever come to you of your brethren that dwell in the cities between blood and blood, which is family, between law and commandments, statutes and judgments, ye shall even warn them that trespass not against the Lord, and so wrath come upon you and upon your brethren. This do, and ye shall not trespass. Last verse. And behold, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all of these matters. Last sentence. Deal courageously, and the Lord shall be with you for good. So don't get involved in taking of gifts like we have on the screen here. Don't get involved in, uh, you know, looking at the appearance of men and getting caught up in that. Because when you're down here doing that judgment, you are a representative of God. And God doesn't deal that way. That's all I'm trying to tell you is that God doesn't deal that way. God is in every respect of persons. Now, sometimes, and I don't know, I really don't know why I've led down this particular path. But sometimes there are people who feel by virtue of wearing their 20-year pin, I've been in a message 20 years, that all of a sudden I've earned enough time, i got enough seniority that the word doesn't matter to me. I got news for you. It does. Can I go a little further? I'm thankful I don't know who paid their tithes today. Watch. Proverbs 24, same thing. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have... Respect a person's in judgment. And he that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, and nations shall abhor him. Look at Germany. And they all were impressed with Hitler. Said, oh, you're the great man, and you're the great leader, and everything else. Eventually, the nations came to abhor But to them that rebuke him shall be delight, and a good blessing shall come upon him. And every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. Always better given the right answer, the honest answer. Colossians 3, New Testament here. Same idea carried over. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that, in other words, you shouldn't do things just to impress people with your religiosity or your spirituality or your, uh, you know, your uh, bibliosity. You should not in any way do that. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord's Christ. That's at the bottom of the line, at the bottom of the stack. Hey, we're all here because we're serving Him. We're all here because we love Him. We're all here tonight, I hope, because we want to hear from him. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done. And there's no respect to persons. We find it again in James 2. This is not an uncommon theme all the way through scriptures. Many other places I could show you. My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Here's how not to conduct yourself among the body. Here's how not to have things operating in the church. If there come a man into your assembly with a gold ring and godly apparel, there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, ye have, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and saith unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou here, and uh, sit here under my footstool. James says, Here's how not to do it. How many would agree? Among us, among us, There should be parity. Among us, there should be equality. Among us, there should be an even playing floor. An even playing field. The law applies. The word applies. The standards of God apply to all of us. In the same way. 
Now, the other word for appearance here is this word, eidos. And it says that, this is kind of from the other point of view. The first word that we talked about appearance is how people look at you. For Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. So this is now the appearance you project. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. You want to stay away from something that could be interpreted as evil, even if it's not. If it just simply appears evil, or if you look at the definition here, uh, that which strikes the eye. The thing that's exposed to view, if that's even looking evil, you should refrain from it. You should abstain from it. Is that all right? I'm just saying what it says right here. So you got to be careful about that. In Luke chapter 9, and it came to pass about uh, after... uh, 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 Why don't I read it correctly? Why why don't we just stop right there and we'll go back to the beginning and read it correctly. And it came to pass about an eight days after these things, he took Peter and James and John and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. And his raiment was white and glistening. Same word shows up here, that his appearance changed. And, and this, is what he, this is what they saw. Listen now. This is what they saw when they looked at Jesus. They saw his countenance change. And they saw that the appearance of Jesus was not like an ordinary man with dust on his clothing and the ordinary sandals we wore. But now the fashion of his clothing was altered and he was white and glistening. They saw that. They literally saw the way that Jesus presented himself to him. But this whole idea now of seeing him is defined this way by believers. This is what I wrote. The believer is guided then, not only by what he sees, but also by what he knows to be true, though it's invisible. So in other words, we as believers now, listen to this, and this is the point I wanted to get to you tonight, that when we look at a situation, and we're, or we look at a, circ- a circumstance, when we look at something, we've been trained to look at the word as well as the thing that's presented to our eyes. By definition, when Jesus changed his appearance, what they saw in their eyes was something different than what they formerly saw. But you know what? There was a word that described him, despite how he looked, whether he was in street clothes or whether he was white and shining, they knew this was the Son of God. Because they're looking at what they see, but they also know something that comes from the word that is, even though it's not visible, and they couldn't see behind the veil, but they knew, hey, this is something that he does because we know who he really is. Behind that veil, whether it's white or whether it's ordinary, we know that's God among us. Amen. That is Elohim. That is the Messiah. That is the Redeemer. That's God with us. And they believe that as well as what they saw. That's the domain of the enlightened. That's the the privilege of the believer. That we can look at something and see it with our eyes, but you know what? That's true because the Word also says that's true. 
Hey, listen, it's not enough that a person just comes and says, uh, you know, there's signs and wonders and miracles. Hey, if you lived in the days of Janus and Jambres, you would have seen signs and wonders, right? Didn't they turn their sticks into serpents? But they did not have anything behind them, right? Moses was a prophet that was sent by God and had a commission, and that commission was right in line with what God told Abraham, and he was there to take those children out and bring them back. I mean, he's a prophet on a mission, Brother Bannon was not just a person who said, hey, come and look at the miracles. The miracles were, were the attraction that got us interested in the word that was meant for our day. So a believer looks at that and says, yeah, I see that. And I mean, that, 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 you know, for all intents and purposes, that is true. But that's not why, listen, that's not why we follow the message of the hour. That's not why we follow the light of this hour. It's not just signs and wonders. You know why? Because if somebody came along and did more signs and wonders, we would follow that. If that's the principle, if that's the only reason you were here, you would find somebody who's doing more spectacular things and follow that. That's not why we're here. We're here because the Word says this is supposed to happen in the last day. The Word is supposed to come up with the mysteries that will be revealed. Christ is to be made known, right, in the last day. So we are guided by not only by what we see and what we hear, but by what we know to be true, though it's invisible. So that's why Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised tables when we, uh, fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him in the mount. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice from him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice came when we, in, the, in the mount when we were there, 19. We have also, listen now, we have also a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. So Peter is saying that we're not followers of Jesus just because of what we saw when we were in the mountain there. But hey, we have a word that says this truly was the Messiah. And you know what? Both of them work together. It's like two wings. Because if he's the Messiah, then there are going to be works accompanying him. There are going to be signs and wonders accompanying him. And if we believe, right, these signs shall follow them that believe. So there should be testimonies. There should be uh, deliverances. There should be, uh, you know, things that, that take place. You know, we live in a, in a world in North America now where things are, you know, things are become a little bit more passive. Somebody was telling me the other day in a country where we're sending, we're sending our books and things, Bibles, and uh, these people, you know, this brother was in this uh, third world country, very poor country. And uh, he said... Uh, he, he said he was traveling down a, uh, uh, just a, a side street. He was just out for a walk. He he's, he's, wasn't a resident in that country. He's a missionary. And he was traveling or just walking around getting some air. And he said when he got down to the bottom of the cul-de-sac, a guy was out in the front of his house. And he said he was looking, he was just kind of standing there, leaning on his fence, just kind of like Brother Branham had that experience with that old colored lady, remember, in Memphis? Remember that? And this man says to him, he says, sir, he says, uh, uh, you know, he just struck up a little conversation uh, in another language and just began to chat to, to him a little bit. And the guy got to know him. And uh, he said, he said, I saw you, he said, in a dream. He said, I had like a dream. And I saw a man just like you walking around our cul-de-sac. And he said, you were supposed to bring me books. He said, you were supposed to bring me six books in a set. And uh, uh, the brother said, well, he said, uh, you know, I don't know anything about the dream, he said, but, uh, you know, since you speak the language, he said, I, I just happen to have uh, the six books, and it was a supernatural series, you know, the blue books, 
the Supernatural series. And he said, I only have five. You know, uh, he, he said, the brother said to himself, I only have five. I'll give him five and then I'll get another one. And, and the brother said, the, the gentleman said to him, but he said, there's only five here. He said, in my dream, I saw six. He said, I've been waiting for you for a long time. He said, because in the dream, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, this man will come and give you six books. And he said, they're all going to be blue. And he said, there's only five. Is there another one? He said, yes, there is another one. I just don't have it. And you know what that is? That's God working on both sides of a situation here. And this, you know, this man does not know who this missionary is that's going to come down the street here. But I will tell you something. Whether you believe it or not, God is still at work in the lives of people where people are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Absolutely true. So 19, Peter says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. He says that, that, is, that is the assurance that we have that because the word speaks of it. And so therefore, he says, that's the thing that we hold fast for. It's not just the appearance. It's not just the signs and wonders. But there's a more sure word of prophecy. Now, Brother Ram says in this little story, he says there was a little girl at the tabernacle, a sweet little old Christian girl. And she was running around with some little old boy that packed a flask in his pocket and smoked cigarettes. And Brother Bram says, I couldn't see nothing in the boy myself. Tried for two or three years to get him to be a Christian, but he wouldn't do it. He just resisted Brother Brown. And I asked her, I said, Sis, what do you see in that boy? He said, Brother Branham, he's just got such cute little feet, and he smells so good. And I thought, what a way to pick a husband. What a way to pick a husband. I'm glad we don't teach that at the youth retreat, but wouldn't be half as so many marriages. I'd rather, Brother Bram said, I'd rather marry a man that was a Christian that had feet like a boxcar and smelled like a polecat if he was a Christian. If he was a Christian. By the blood of Christ we're saved. Hallelujah. He'll make a living for you and he'll be a gentleman if he's saved. Not by the outward appearance, but by the heart. That's a great statement. Because it speaks to the human nature that, <clears throat> that is in mankind that would look at somebody and say, he's cute, or he smells nice, <laughs> or whatever. And going about making the most important decision in life based on appearances you can see what kind of a mistake this girl's headed for. I was telling the kids up in Washington, we were up there last weekend, and the young people that were there, that I, we know a girl who married a guy, and she said this. I mean, it's not like I'm saying it. She said this, that I'm marrying him because he makes me laugh. And you know what? It was great until he ran out of jokes. And then it wasn't funny anymore. And Brother Branham's giving us a good illustration of something here that, listen, even if you can't see it, even if you can't see it, if the man is a real Christian, if he's really got it, he's got the real thing, 
he's going to turn out to be a kind of a person who will make a living for you and be a gentleman and somebody who will treat you right. He's going to do that if he's saved. But to judge somebody by the outward appearance, that's, that's not the way to do that. Because if he's got the real thing, he's going to manifest the character of Christ. And the character of Christ, I mean, he was a real husband, wasn't he? Jesus was a real husband to his bride. And so this is, a, to me, this is a really simple way of saying something very important that there's a lot of people who will talk well. They'll look sharp. They'll impress you outwardly. But if they're resisting the faith, you better think twice. If she's resisting the faith, you better think twice. If she draws back or he draws back from the faith, and let me tell you, right now it may look okay, but down the road, there's a real question there. Moreover, Jesus said in Matthew 6, When ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. Watch what he says now. For they disfigure their appearance. That word face is appearance in the Greek there. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to fast unto men to fast. So they're actually pretending. They're, they're making themselves look like we're skinny and gaunt and wretched because we're fasting. They're disfiguring their faces to do that. But, but he says, don't do that. They have the reward. But here's what he says that we should do. When thou fast, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast. This is the right kind of changing your appearance. This is the right kind of a thing. You know why? Because if, let me tell you, if you're fasting, it's, it's, a, it's a fast from food to enjoy a feast from God. You know what? And if God begins to reveal things to you in a real fast, if you take a day or three days, and I don't recommend more, but if you take a time where you're just dedicating that time to the Lord, and I know some of you do in your, in your testimonies, you do that and take time just to spend time with God. Let me tell you something. To God be the glory, not to you. Wasn't that the problem with people who had all the gifts in Pentecost, right? They wanted to be on the floor saying, here we are, standing up, ready to go, you know. Going to speak in tongues now. Here I am. Hey! And the show was about them. And the gift was not given to glorify them. The gift was given to glorify God in the body, right? And Brother Branham sat that down. Brother Branham clamped down on that because that's not what gifts are used for. That's not what a real gift of God will operate like so jesus says when thou fast anoint thine head and wash thy face in other words you change your appearance so that you're not going around saying i'm spiritual i'm fasting man i'm having a tough time i really sacrifice for god thou that thou appear not unto men to fast but unto the father which is in secret now if a man says I just walk up and shake hands and say, I got it, I got eternal security, you're off track. If you love the Lord, you won't do it because you do it because you don't want to hurt him. You don't want to, you don't want to hurt the Lord. You wouldn't want to bring reproach against the Lord. People used to wear long dresses and long sleeves and long hair. They should, but that isn't what takes you to heaven. Right? I still think it's okay to preach. Holiness, because I think it's right to live holiness. 
even if everyone doesn't. Because the styles and the things, sometimes the things that you, you see and you encounter. Uh, I went to a church one time, and the pastor invited me to come and preach to the married couples there. This was a while back, married couples. And uh, I told him, I said, you know what? Look, if you have uh, an unbelieving spouse, somebody in the church has an unbelieving spouse, tell them to come along. Or if you have families who have neighbors or troubled marriages or people they know have troubled marriages, bring them along. And this is not like a regular church service. This is a, a meeting about marriage. And so bring along your outsiders. Bring along the strangers. The people that wouldn't ordinarily come to a church service, invite them to come along because it's kind of easier for them to go through that than it is to go through a church service because they you know, don't want to be identified, right? So normally... Generally, when I do a marriage meeting like that on a weekend, there's all kinds of people show up. You get a mixed multitude that shows up. That's not uncommon. It's quite common. And so I, I mean, I just go ahead because I don't know who's who, and I didn't know who's who. But there was people who were there in the congregation and had short hair and earrings and, you know, just, I mean, I thought, wow, people did bring their relatives and their, you know, denominational friends and all that. And I thought, great, you know, let's have at it. So I'm peppering in little bits and thing in here. And lo and behold, a pastor asked me to stay for Sunday morning and preach. And then when I got there, he said, he looked out over the congregation. He said, this is us. This is who we are. This is our congregation. And I looked out and it's all the same people. Not like being at a church that's open just a week, you know. Boy, I, I learned something. Anyway, he says, they should, but that isn't what takes you to heaven. You could have long hair and dresses and have a temper enough to fight a buzzsaw and hate your neighbor. But the reason that you do keep yourself the way it should be is because you love the Lord and want to keep his commandments if you're Abraham's son and daughter. So again, if somebody came in and was among us, then they would, they would really, they would have a right to see, are you doing what you do? Are you living the way you live? Are you practicing the faith you, do, you practice because you have to? The pastor's going to get on your case? Or is it simply because you have a personal testimony that you love the Lord with all your heart and you're willing to do whatever his word says? And they investigated further and said, but you know, in church, you're, you're one of them. But outside, you know, you do this. I mean, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just new back in town here. So I'm just saying. I, for me, I want to do everything I can to shun the very appearance of evil and to give the right impression to give the right impression to somebody so that I reflect the faith in a proper way. I think that's a, that's a reasonable responsibility for every believer. Would you agree? Well, let me leave you with this. Okay, last quote here. Brother Bram said, The word of God has no end. It's from eternity. It's foreverlasting. It's always God's word. And Jesus said it was a seed. And if a seed is put in the right kind of ground and watered correctly, it's certainly going to produce what kind it is. And if you need anything from God, the seed of God will produce it if you'll just receive it in your heart and believe with all of your heart.
God's placed in you that seed that will produce everything that you have need of. If you have, if you have a need of healing, let me tell you, healing is there. If you have need of faith, faith is there. You just need to water that. If you have need of encouragement, encouragement is there. If you have need of deliverance and freedom from something, let me tell you, it's right there. If you have need of a new body, feed that seed. I'll tell you, God has everything for the people of God embedded in that seed. And it's just going to come to pass exactly when we water it and we put it in the right environment and we feed it and we weed it and we get out the wrong things, put in the right things. It's just like in nature. It's going to grow and produce whatever God decided to put in it in the first place. I don't believe martyr's faith is in there as I don't think we're going to need much of that before this is over as I really believe God's going to shut it down. But you are going to need to have an eagle's faith and an eagle's eye before this is all over because God's going to live. Lift us above this confusion and bring us into that other dimension. So I believe that's in there. Rapturing faith is in there. And everything you have need of to overcome this age is inside of you. You just need to water the seed and let it grow and let it become what God determined. And be a real true Christian. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. In the next statement, Brother Bannon makes this one line, the bottom of the quote here. He says, give me the next quote here before you turn it off. He says, he comes to his seed to make it alive. If you're a real seed of God, he comes to that and makes it live. He knows exactly where his seed are. He knows exactly where his sons and daughters are. And he's going to make it live. He's going to make it come alive. He's going to make it produce just exactly what God intended in the first place. So we live in an age where there's confusion. We live in an age where there's deception. Let me tell you, you're not the only one who knows that. Jesus knew that. But he put us in here in this age to live out through this age and be able to overcome it. And he's got a lot of confidence in you. Jesus, we're depending on you, depending on you to see us through. Let's say it this evening here. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, We're depending on you, depending on you, to see us through. Oh, Jesus, we're depending on you, Jesus, we're depending on you. Sing it again now. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus. Jesus, oh, we're depending on you. Depending on you to see us through. And I go to the rock of my salvation go to the stone run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me earth all around is sinking sand on Christ the solid rock I stand when I need a shelter when I need a friend I go to the rock yes I go to the rock of my salvation go to the stone that the builders rejected run to the mountain and mountain 
Earth all around is sinking sand, but on Christ's solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with Him over and over important for you not to get entangled in the things of the world. It is important for you to get caught up in the right things. That would be pleasing to the Lord, I believe. 
Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence, we do know, Lord, that you care for every one of us. And Lord, in our world, in our time, deception abounds. You said it would be so close that it would deceive the very elect if it was possible. We live in a time where people would look and say, I'm rich and increased with goods and I've needed nothing. But they don't even know their condition. There's a lot of people who feel like because we've always been around the message, then that's okay. But Lord, may, may we take the little moment tonight and just kind of look deep within our hearts and let the Holy Spirit just flow through us. Because, Lord, when you look, it never hurts. When you look, you always help us. May we be the kind of people that surrender our hearts to you. And may we be the kind of people that have the courage to change, to become what you predestinated us to be, to use our gifts and talents for the King. Father, may you just take our lives and shape us and redirect us, mold us present ourselves to you, Lord, in faith. Lord, I pray tonight as well, and as we have mentioned, there are many families that are mourning. And you said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray for the comforting presence of Almighty God to draw near to those that are suffering the loss of a spouse, and a father, and a mother, and a grandmother. Lord, may you just have mercy upon those families, I pray. And those assemblies where these saints have been taken from us. Lord, we pray for those who are sick. And we think of Brother Tim, Lord. We think of Brother Jim Babb. And ask, oh God, that you'd be gracious and merciful. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd touch Brother David, Whitlock, Brother Noah. Lord, just have your way among us. There just seems to be so many needs. But Lord, we know we could never exhaust you. Because your goodness is inexhaustible. Have your way, Lord, we pray. Do that which is an exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And for the people that are here, Lord, tonight and those who are listening, may, Lord, my prayer is that you'd bless the balance of their week. Keep us safe and keep us in the center of your will. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Sing it as you go tonight. Sunshine or shadow, I know He, yes, He cares for you.
strength of the Lord. 